Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. And I'm thrilled to have in studio with me uh, retired Army General Chris Petty. Uh, And and we're going to have a conversation about D-Day, because uh, D-Day, 75 years ago, the Allied forces stormed the beaches in Normandy, France. So it's great to have you here, Chris. Thanks, Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, and how we got connected is you are doing something that is absolutely amazing, and it is Battle Digest. Would you explain to our listeners what that is exactly? I'd love to. Um, during my time in the Army, about 31 years in the Army and the, and the National Guard, and by the way, I did a lot of time in the Colorado Army National Guard, um, I realized that uh, soldiers, NCOs, and officers needed a better method to refresh and refine their understanding of military history. And so, you know, we studied it well in school. We, I studied it at West Point. We get it in the War College. We get it. But, but we sort of put it on the shelf, and we kind of forget about it a little bit. And so what I did is I created a executive summary, kind of a cliff notes of warfare, and it's called Battle Digest. Simply check it out at BattleDigest.com if you want to take a look at it. But they're really trifle brochures, 3,000 words or less, and they summarize the major battles throughout history. And they focus also on lessons learned, strategic lessons and lessons on mission command and things that young officers and senior NCOs would really appreciate in their careers. Okay. Well, let's talk about D-Day. This was your, uh, out of Volume 1, Issue number Mm 5, D-Day. So what's the significance of D-Day? So D-Day, as as you stated in your opening, is such a significant event to the history of the world and the history of the United States and, of course, the U.S. military. Um, it was the critical operation to gain a foothold in Europe. The Allies had planned this for years prior to execution, um, and and this was the culmination of years of planning and years and months of significant logistical planning and buildup in England. And uh, it is still the largest ever amphibious assault in the history of the world. So significant on two levels. The, the foothold of Europe, critical to driving the Allies into Germany, which would be required to end the war, and the largest ever amphibious assault in history. So just to tell us about the forces, how many men were uh, in this? So there's, there was approximately 156,000 Allied troops, U.S., Great Britain, uh, Canadians, and, and free French commandos, um, 7,000 ships across the channel, 11,600 uh, aircraft, including gliders for the uh, airborne and glider assaults, which was really phase one, which we'll probably touch on. So 156,000 allied, allied soldiers facing an extended defensive line that Hitler constructed called the Atlantic Wall, which is 800 miles of defenses manned by 300,000 Germans. Fortunately for the Allies, they were attacking a 50-mile section of that 800-mile defense, so obviously they didn't face 300,000 Germans who were spread along the entire Atlantic Wall but a massive undertaking of men and material and uh, and combined arms operation in warfare. Um, Normandy is, uh, the D-Day landings were fascinating on, on, I think, primarily two levels. You have the, the individual unit tactical level, which is, you know, bravery, determination, incredible courage. It's even hard for me as a, as a, as a retired old soldier to understand that what they faced. 
And then you have the strategic level where you have this incredible maneuver design to fake out the Germans by by creating a deception plan, by capturing good intelligence. Um, and then you have this breakthrough concept along an extended uh, defense that Hitler had established. So you have this this fascinating story of tactical and individual bravery and determination and grit. And you have this strategic story of maneuver and intelligence and surprise and deception. So D-Day really has it all. And the and the name for D-Day was Project Overlord, right? Right. Overlord was the land operation. and um, uh, Was it Neptune? Neptune was the seaborne phase, yeah. Okay. And then the fake one was, I can't remember. Operation Fortitude. So okay. Operation Fortitude, a lot of people have heard of it, but they used uh, General George Patton as one of the primary characters because the, the Nazi regime respected Patton. They knew he was a warrior, and so they figured where Patton goes will be a main effort somehow. And so Patton was used to create a deception uh, basically in England around Dover because Hitler was convinced that the the invasion would happen at uh, Calais, which is really the closest land point between England and, and the coast of France. And so the Allies played into that deception with fake activity, fake radio traffic. Uh, they built oil storage and harbors and stuff around Dover just to create the impression that the invasion buildup was happening there. And Hitler, you know, that was Hitler's preconceived idea, which is always the best way to create a deception plan, is to go with the enemy's preconceived concepts. Mm -hmm. And the Allies did a brilliant job of that. So with that, um, let's go back a little bit to this individual uh, courage and bravery. It is amazing what the American soldiers did. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. I mean, um, the American American forces played the primary role in not only the initial airborne and glider assaults by the 82nd Airborne Division and the 101st Airborne Division coming in behind primarily Utah, Utah Beach sector. Um, but then the first waves of American forces were the 4th Infantry Division, our own 4th Infantry Division that still exists at Fort Carson, Colorado, um, on Utah Beach. And then the 1st the Infantry Division and the 29th Infantry Division, which is a guard division, uh, hit in Omaha Beach. Now, uh, there was five beaches total, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and Sword. The Americans were primarily on Utah and Omaha. The Brits were on gold, and the Canadians were on Juno, and the Brits were on sword. So the phase one was the airborne and glider assault, um, and that's when forces dropped in behind, in the case of the 82nd and the 101st, behind Utah Beach, trying to seize key road intersections, junctions, making sure that traffic could be open once the Allies seized the beaches so they could actually move ashore and get off of the beaches. Uh, they they were dropped in uh, difficult terrain. They were dropped in erroneous locations because pilots were dodging anti-aircraft and flak in the air, and so they went off course. And despite all the odds, the overwhelming odds against them, these paratroopers from those two divisions rallied their men, and even though they were in the wrong spot, they moved to their right objectives, or they just took the initiative and no. seized, you know, and created confusion and chaos in the uh, in the Nazi defenses and prevented some some counterattack opportunities. And the British were doing the same thing on uh, on the far east at Sword Beach, 
when they seized really the first tactical victory probably of the day, which is the seizing of Pegasus, the Pegasus Bridge, which is a critical east-west reinforcement. If the Nazis were going to counterattack or reinforce, they would have to move a lot of forces across Pegasus Bridge. And the Brits really surprised the enemy and seized that bridge and held it until they were reinforced by other troops that came ashore later. So that was the first action. I mean, just incredible initiative and bravery. Uh, overcoming great obstacles, you know, in the dark, off off the target, and doing wonderful things. Then you have the first waves coming coming ashore at Utah. First Infantry Division, uh, you know, the, the weather was actually bad, even though Eisenhower had delayed mm-hmm. the assault by one day because of bad weather, which really in the end played to the Allies' advantage. Um, and we can touch on that if we have time. But the 4th Infantry Division comes ashore on Utah, their, their landing craft are, are drifted off course by strange tidal flows, and fortunately for the 4th Infantry Division, where they landed was actually a little less defended, so they were able to rapidly move inland, link up with the paratroopers, and start uh, gaining ground and securing that, that foothold. Omaha Beach was the crisis of the day. Mm-hmm. It was it was hanging in the balance all day long. It was the most fortified, most defended beach of the five beaches by far. The the Americans in the uh, 1st Infantry Division and the 29th Infantry Division were same same odd currents drifted their landing craft in d- beach sectors they didn't uh, they didn't uh, expect. Uh, their their amphibious tanks sank because of the tides and the waves, and so they didn't have the, any kind of heavy so reinforcement. a lot of the guys drowned. A lot of the guys drowned. Uh, I mean, it was brutal fire, brutal conditions, and they happened to be coming up against the, one of the better prepared and trained um, German divisions, the 352nd Infantry Division, which is probably the best German division in the entire sector, and the Americans it had to go It was brutal then them. for our guys. It, it was brutal. And then there's the 2nd Ranger Battalion seizing Point du Hoc and the big gun installation there and calling in naval artillery to support the beach landing. So, so many subplots and great stories of bravery and courage and determination and overcoming adversity. It's just it was an incredible day. I mean, a horrific day, but strategically an incredible day for the Allies. By the end of the day, though, didn't we have a toehold with at Omaha as well? We did. Uh, Omaha really hung in the balance, so much so that the German high command throughout the day thought that the Allied advance had been stopped. That's how bad Omaha was for the for the Allies. Um, but by the end of the day, they'd clawed their way up the cliffs and they'd secured their initial objectives. So by the end of day one, the five beaches were basically secure. It was an incredible feat. Well, and uh, President Reagan, I think it was on the 50th uh, anniversary of D-Day, and now this is the 75th, but he talked about the boys at Point de Hoc. This was the Ranger Division that basically went straight up some cliffs to take um, fortifications up at the top. And can you imagine with the enemy shooting down at you, climbing those cliffs? I mean, the 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 courage, the bravery is just astonishing to me, Chris. It is. It's amazing what they did. The uh the that second ranger battalion was going up against incredible odds they had literally rope ladders and uh and ropes and they were going up the cliffs under fire uh scaling 100 foot high cliffs to get to their objective uh and they got it 
It, and it's astonishing. And we're going to go to break here in just a minute. But before we do that, in your battle digest here, uh, you have a quote from Colonel George Taylor, who was commanding the 16th Regiment, uh, the 1st Infantry Division. And they were exposed to enemy fire. He exposed himself to enemy fire. And do you recall what he says? Yeah. And, and yeah, he was commanding the 16th Regiment, 1st ID, 1st Infantry Division. And he said, and they're all pinned down. You, you know, picture the opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan. They are pinned on the beach. Men are dying all around. And he says, there are two kinds of people who are staying on this beach. Those who are dead and those who are going to die. Now let's get the hell out of here. And really with that, his men rallied and they moved forward under fire and they started to claw their way up those uh, up the up the beach and up the cliffs. So oh, fascinating. lots of inspiration that day. Lots of inspiration. We're going to go to break. I am talking with retired Army General Chris Petty, and he has this amazing project that he is doing. It is Battle Digest. And uh, we're talking about June 6, 1944 D-Day. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, May 31st through Thursday, June 6th, features will include Pokemon, Detective Pikachu, Aladdin, and The Hustle. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to be having a conversation with retired Army General Chris Petty. It's great to have you in studio. Thanks, Kim. Great to be here. And we're talking about D-Day. Uh, this is the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And you've put together this project, a Battle Digest, where it's basically a trifold kind of executive summary of some of the major battles throughout history. But I found something very interesting as I was reading this is, you know, I'm not a military person, but I could understand it. Right. That's, that's really the idea. I mean, I, I, as I said before, I, I built this because of my experience in the Army, and I knew we needed something like this to simplify. Um, but, but really what I'm finding is anyone that likes history and anybody that wants to know a little bit about military history really loves this product. So I really do hope your listeners will check it out. All they have to do is go to BattleDigest.com. 
it's hard copy, it's digital, it's a subscription, or it's individual battles, it's, uh, and it's a growing library. So I hope they, uh, hope they take a look at it. Well, you know, the kids are home from college, and, uh, and the kids are out of school for the yeah. summer. I think that this would be an excellent thing for families to actually get this and maybe read it and then talk about it over the dinner table. Uh, excellent. I, uh, you could read it in 20 to 30 minutes and have a great understanding of what happened at these critical battles in history and why it matters. In fact, uh, a Douglas County High School t- ninth grade honors class, uh, history class teacher brought it into his class for a critical thinking exercise. The kids loved it. So written for adults, but kids are, are loving it. And this is BattleDigest.com, correct? That's right, BattleDigest.com. Okay, so we've got uh, just a few minutes really to, to continue to talk about D-Day. It was so significant. Uh, and it was such a fierce battle, particularly there on Omaha. And as you mentioned, the the story after story of of courage and bravery. Uh, you know, what's the next thing you'd like to talk about, Chris? Well, I just think, being that it is uh, it is June sixth. I mean, this is. Uh, it, it, I hope we don't start losing this history as the veterans of this conflict die off. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they are dying. They're in their 90s. They're in their 90s, and uh, there's not a lot of them left. And so, you know, this. a lot of people think this type of history doesn't repeat itself. But actually, even in the age of cyber and uh, artificial intelligence, this kind of stuff is real. It's relevant. It, it can happen. National mobilization can happen. So uh, we need to understand this crucial day, what it meant strategically, what it meant tactically, um, and the fact that uh, there are real lessons to be learned here that will repeat themselves at some point. What do you think are some of those lessons, Chris? Well, I mean, we, we in, the, in the military, we, we, we have certain principles that, that are, have really shown themselves throughout the history of warfare, like, like a principle of war uh, called maneuver. You know, it sounds kind of obvious, right? You maneuver your forces to create an advantage prior to the fighting, or at the tactical level, you maneuver in the fight. But, but D-Day is a great example of strategic operational level maneuver. So, you know, we may not be assembling this particular coalition again against this particular enemy, but I guarantee you we're going to be doing a strategic maneuver at some point again, large-scale warfare. And and D-Day holds great lessons, like we talked about. Um, we we talked about the deception plan it was critical in creating that um, the the conditions for a basically a penetrating thrust on 50 miles of an 800 mile mm-hmm. defensive line. If Hitler would have known where the Allies were coming and when, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have taken those beaches because he could have massed. Fortified him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so. There are lessons that apply to future conflicts just like they apply to this conflict. Uh, intelligence. Um, the Allies had the intelligence advantage at D-Day. We had, uh, if you, you've heard of Ultra, mm-hmm. there's been movies about the code-breaking technology Ultra. So Eisenhower had a pretty good idea of German dispositions. Not perfect, but pretty good idea. And Hitler was really relatively blind on allied intentions and timelines because German spies had been arrested in England. Some of them were actually converted to double agents. So intelligence is always going to matter in warfare. D-Day provides great lessons on the intelligence advantage and what it did for the allies. So, I mean, those are just two examples. Mm -hmm. Logistics, 
D-Day was huge oh logistics gosh. undertaking. You know, I was thinking about it. You know, this whole uh, my, my World War II show really precipitated from a trip that I took uh, with a group that took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy. And as I started to think about, you know, they all had these clickers and they had three days of rations and they had a yeah. parachute. The logistics to to 156,000 men, was, I can't even imagine. It was immense. And and think about, there's something that uh, is called a Mulberry Harbor. And, you know, they're landing on beaches. They don't, you can't, you can't pull up to a pier and unload ships with massive amounts of, think of, think of earth-moving equipment. Think of oh. all the stuff you got to get into the beaches to support the advance. So, so... The Allies took the time, and I, and I think I heard once it was like 40,000 workers in England assembling these things called Mulberry Harbors. They were concrete, five stories high. They dragged them from England and planted, planted them on two of the beaches, and they became the piers to unload ships. So that's just one little piece of a huge logistics undertaking. And so, so those are some of the, the main things in your battle digest that you break down in each mm-hmm. of these battles is the maneuvering, the deception, intelligence, logistics. How is that relatable to somebody like me who's not military? Well, I, I think it, it should be of interest to anybody that's interested in anything related to warfare because these themes really do... They, they go through life, really. They are continuities of warfare, and they do apply to... I mean, look at the overlap between business mm-hmm. and military and all the sharing and, and comparing that has gone on through this, through the decades, at least in the U.S., about the military staff is now being copied in the C-suite, you know, all those things back and forth. So these principles actually apply to corporate America, in a sense, you know, um, massing your resources for... A marketing campaign, etc. You know, just like massing forces on a military battlefield. So a lot of this stuff, chain of command, mission command. You know, mm-hmm. do you do your subordinates understand the commander's intent? Can they execute with um, end state objectives in mind, as opposed to detailed plans and telling them everything they have to do mm-hmm. so they don't use any initiative? I mean, these things flow through warfare, and they definitely flow through organizations and businesses today. Okay. Now, Chris, we've got just a few minutes. Uh, One other thing in the Battle Digest is you talk about tactical. And one of the things that the Allies had learned is they needed unity of command. Right. There was a lot of experience, recent experience from World War I, where uh, there was disjointed command relationships on the Western Front, and that had affected operations. It affected... um, you know the the objectives that different commanders had the, the different operations there was i wouldn't say competition between the allies but it was disjointed operations mm-hmm. because you didn't have single unified command it's one of the things that we in the US military try strive for even in allied operations today as a unity of command type of organization so that was applied with general eisenhower in D-Day, clearly. Okay. And then the uh, other two things on tactical that we had in our, in our favor. Yes. We had uh, allied air. The Allies had great air and sea superiority, which really d- doesn't get a lot of credit, but it was critical in the outcome of D-Day and the initial assaults. If the Germans would have had 
uh, control of the channel, there's, again, there's that no way those problems, ships... Big problems, yeah, yeah, we would have, I mean, half our troops would have been lost in the channel. And so that was critical. And then air superiority, and one of the reasons they actually chose those five beaches is they were within one fuel range of England, so England, we sense. could still support with close air. Um, and so that was actually very critical in the outcome. And as the Germans were able to try to mount some counteroffensives, once they took to the roads with air superiority, our our fighter aircraft, our Army Air Corps fighter aircraft, were, mm-hmm. were strafing them down and really decimating them. And then the last thing was uh, what we touched on briefly, and that was this, you know, tactically, we talk about offense and defense. Well, well, the Nazis had a really overextended tactical defense, you know, trying to defend 800 miles against a, um, a penetrating attack of concentrated forces along 50 miles is very difficult it's really proposition. Difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we try to dissect some of those themes, and it's all done in 3,000 words or less. So it's really uh, executive summary stuff. Uh, this is amazing. So this is uh, retired Army General Chris Petty. His project is Battle Digest. You can find these at BattleDigest.com. And again, I think this is a great thing for families to do this summer, is to read these and uh, have a barbecue and then talk about it with the kids. So, Chris Petty, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. It's been a real pleasure. And our quote for today is what General Ike Eisenhower had to say to the Allied forces as they were preparing to go into Normandy, France on D-Day. He said, Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the Great Crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened, and he will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940 and 41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man-to-man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelmingly superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage and devotion to duty and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. And thank you to those brave men that went upon the beaches of Normandy 75 years ago. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.